Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. We're really happy to welcome back Dan Bracaglia. Dan, last time we talked to you, you were working for a different news outlet. You are now news and feature editor for Popular Photography or Pop Photo. Really glad to have you back, Dan. Thank you for having me back. I'm really glad to be here. And uh, I always love talking about photography, so this is always an enjoyable experience. We wanted to talk about joy in photography. I think the real question is, what happens when you've hit that sort of low point, when you just don't know what to take pictures of, you don't know how to take pictures, it's cold and windy. We've had three named storms in the UK in the past week with winds gusting up to 60 miles an hour. What do you do when you don't know what to do to keep taking photos? It's a really great question. And uh, I, I feel your your description of that sort of lack of interest is something that I've uh, definitely grappled with as of late, um, not just really recently, but within the past year or two. Um, I wonder what could have happened in the world to make people lose their, you know, creative juices in the nothing. past year or two. There, there's nothing that could explain it. It's it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it really is. And uh, but, you know, there are I, I found some handy tips out there for sort of breaking through that that block and um, trying to reignite that <laughs> that passion for photography. Because I, I think, you know, again, whether it's a global pandemic or it's um, something to do with work or other stuff going on in your life, stressors, it's easy to lose that ability to get in that mindset where you're just sort of a kid playing. And I think that's really what photography really is about, is sort of getting back into that adolescent sort of mindset and just, um, you know, finding things that excite you, framing things that excite you and making pictures that excite you. So. You know, they say, you know, from a psychological standpoint, too, when you're stressed, when there's things going on, when there's a global pandemic, you know, that's one of the first things your body turns off mentally is is sort of this like the fun, you know, the, the ability to get into that fun mindset. So, um, yeah, you know, it's important. But the question is, is is photography fun? Just coincidentally, David Dushman's most recent episode of his podcast, A Beautiful Anarchy is entitled More Than Fun. And he's saying photography isn't fun. It's a creative thing. He says, fun is a game of twister when we've all had too much to drink. But photography for him is that getting into that flow state, which isn't necessarily fun, ha-ha, but it's it's a sense of enjoyment. It's a sense of satisfaction, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's not, it's to me, it's, it's a real similar uh, mental state to being out in the garden, you know, if you're into that kind of thing and sort of losing track of time. Um, it is, it's a flow. But uh, it's it's sort of like a, an, an un, unabashed flow, a flow of where nothing's really stopping it. So it can be fun. I think it's fun. But, you know, everyone's sort of got their own their own take on it. So this this happens to everyone. Um, one of the things that happens to me is the weather. The, the days are much shorter here, further north, and you get 60 mile an hour winds. You just don't want to go out and take pictures. So the, the winter season is a period where you might be able to do something indoors. You don't always have to take photos outside. You can take photos of food. I was doing that a couple of weeks ago. I took a bunch of different vegetables and fruits, and I tried lighting them differently. And none of the photos were great, but I was getting some experience of playing with light on colors, with, with shadows and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think there's so many, obviously being indoors things, but there's a lot of opportunities there to, to work on other skills, whether it be still light lighting or editing or what have you. But you can also get really like weird and wacky and creative. I, I somewhat recently was bored and stuck inside. So I 
tried this strange photo series where I just took a bunch of still lives of houseplants, but sort of arranged in really odd ways um, and shot it on film with double exposures. And I thought it would come out really cool. And it was kind of like, eh, there's like one good shot on this whole roll. But um, yeah, you know, just getting into that, allowing yourself to do that kind of thing, I think is real important. So the question is, in actually in both of your situations, was that fun? Like, is that something that, that you know, quote, sparked joy? Or was it more curiosity? Because sometimes, the, you know, the curiosity can lead to fun. Or maybe you start with a little spark. One of the things about David Dushman's uh, article episode that you just mentioned, he doesn't really talk about fun as being something that you necessarily will get or can get. Uh, and, you know, photography is work. And yet there have been times when I have unabashedly had a lot of fun, but oftentimes it's because I'm in a cool location or everything is just clicking right. Like the, the sun hits perfectly and that sort of, of, of experience. But I, I don't quite know how to manufacture it other than try, try, try again. Yeah, it's hard to I think it's really difficult to manufacture that, you know, that you the best you can hope for is that what you just said is it all kind of just clicks in and you are having fun. But I think getting there can take a lot of effort and work. And I, you know, my little experiment, um, it was interesting. I don't know if it was fun necessarily. I shot it on black and white film and developed it myself. And that was fun. I'd enjoy the hands on aspects of those kinds of things. But I, I think you're right. It's not always fun. A lot of times it's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of annoyance, jumping back into menus, switching things around, you know, seeing you slightly misfocus. It's a lot of heartbreak in photography. <laughs> but there's a satisfaction when you've gotten something right. Uh, I think it's not the, the, the short-term sudden dopamine hit of, I don't know, playing a video game. It's the longer-term dopamine of, ah, I got this right. It's like when you're making bread and you take the bread out of the oven and you've made a good loaf of bread. Yeah. And I do wonder, though, I, you know, back when I was a little bit younger and like shooting even more frequently than I am now, I would kind of almost you'd get into this mindset of where if you put if you make a great picture, you're only as good kind of as your last great picture and you need to like constantly one up yourself. So it's like, oh, man, I made this great loaf of bread. But like, can I ever make one as good again? And I think people <laughs> get psyched out by that a little bit, too. You know, they get tied up in that race of wanting to keep improving and keep seeing their, their, their selves progress. And when you're starting out in photography, it's a little easier to see that. But when you get to a certain point, it gets a little bit more difficult to see those improvements each and every time you go out and shoot. I would argue that when you get to that point, you're starting to develop your personal style. So when you start out in photography, you're just taking pictures because you like the idea or maybe you found it interesting to play with the gear. And the more you do, the more you kind of hone what you want to shoot and how you want to shoot it. And to me, there's more of a satisfaction in that. Then in the early days, it's like, wow, I got this really cool picture. And if I look back now, I think it's crap. Yeah. But it, there's more a satisfaction of developing a style. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, one of my suggestions for people who are feeling stuck in a rut, and it's a very obvious suggestion, but it's to give yourself some sort of project to work on and make the, make the parameters of it very limited. You know, um, have it either lean into the style of photography you're already developing or something you want to work on. But don't give yourself a ton of wiggle, like, uh, with to really work, have a very narrow focus. Who knows? Maybe that'll help you spark joy. I'm always skeptical about this spark joy term, <laughs> which has become famous by that Marie Kondo who tells you to throw everything away. But if you go to her website, you can buy some really expensive stuff there. <laughs> yeah, that idea of sparking joy, it's like 
I don't know. We shouldn't be chasing for that happiness. We should be chasing for satisfaction. It, I think the Greeks call it eudaimonia, the idea that things are good. And because if you're constantly chasing for great, you're always going to be disappointed because it's not always going to be great. So I think it's more of a, a progressive level of being satisfied with what you're doing, creating something you're proud of in a certain way. Yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. I, I'm just I'm laughing because I'm thinking of this idea of like, you know, perfection has become so much easier, you know, in theory, easier, easier to obtain now with photography. Because, you know, everything is that much sharper. AF systems are that much better. Dynamic range is that much greater. Where, you know, I think that there is a really, you know, big reason why people are swaying towards shooting analog photography again is because it's, I think, in a lot of ways, a lot more fun because it's just a lot more room for that gray area of like, I don't know if this is quite in focus, but I love Whereas, you know, if I shot that with my Sony A7R4, I'd be like, this is definitely not in focus and I'm definitely not posting this picture. So I think that that, you know, there's something kind of there for me, at least, and I think for a lot of people as well. It's interesting. This morning, uh, I was looking on Facebook. Yes, I do use Facebook for groups. And there was a photo <laughs> group that I was looking at. We've talked on the show that I have a Leica Q2 monochrome. And someone was saying, okay, I just got this. And I need to know what noise reduction software I have to use because it's just not perfect. And I was thinking, oy vey, what's wrong with this guy? Hey, he's yeah. just spent a lot of money on a camera that's a really sharp camera. And he's just worried about noise reduction. Whereas, you know, I think back, there's, I'm going to try and find it and put it in the show notes. There's a picture by Joel Myrowitz of a young woman on a bicycle, stopped at a street in New York City, turned toward him, and it's blurry and out of focus, but it's a great picture. You feel that it's a real picture. It's not going through noise reduction and sharpening and all of that. It's just a picture. And in some ways, I mean, I agree with what you're saying about analog. You can't control it, so you have to accept it. And in some ways, you're less demanding of perfection, aren't you? Absolutely. And I think that, that you know, it just gives you a little bit more room to to be creative. And when you say that, I know the photo you're talking about. And the other, another real famous one that comes to mind for me is the cover of Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. It's, there's clear handshake in the image. And the photographer was mortified when Dylan was like, I want this one. He's like, no, I look like an idiot in this picture because I couldn't <laughs> hold the camera steady. But, you know, it looked cool. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I, I wrote an article uh, maybe about a year ago for a DP review about the joy of happy accidents in photography and why film photography can make those kinds of things more fun. And to me, like that's kind of tapping into, to, again, to that, the fun of it, the childhood sort of like, it's almost, you get your film back, it's like Christmas morning or, you know, your birthday, you're opening these gifts and you're seeing what the surprises are. And for me, as, as obviously, as, as I'm clearly alluding to, one of the ways I'm breaking through my creative rut is getting back into film and, and sort of nurturing that a bit. And and we're discussing that as amateur enthusiast photographers, but Michael Kenna has told me that one thing he loves about his photography is he'll take all these pictures, he'll send it to be developed, and he won't look at them for a month. And it's like Christmas when he gets these pictures and he looks at them. He said exactly that, that this discovery of pictures. His latest book is photos that he shot at the beginning of his career, during lockdown, he went back to look at his old archives and he found so many pictures that he had totally forgotten. That discovery in an archive can also be something that gives you joy. Yeah, I think so. And obviously, you know, you can always look back on your digital photos, but it can be it can seem more daunting than just holding up negatives to the window. I mean, like, oh, oh cool. Um, <laughs> then again, scanning negatives is very on fun, but, you know. <laughs> well that's the thing there's a lot of stuff in photography that isn't fun that's grunt work yeah and 
When you shoot film, do you develop yourself or do you send it out and get the negatives and scans back? So black and white, I'm mostly doing myself. Um, The color stuff I'm sending out to our local lab here in Seattle and the lab, who I highly recommend if you are in the Seattle area. Uh, You know, I I do want to get into doing color at home at some point. It's just, you know, it's another level. There's, you know, it's a bit more chemistry. So I'm trying to limit the number of poisonous chemicals I'm storing in my closet. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a lot more delicate temperature wise, if I remember correctly. Yeah. When I did film developing back in the day, black and white was pretty easy, whereas you had to be really precise with color. But then again, you might make a mistake that might be a happy accident. Absolutely. And actually now, apparently, um, modern sous vide machines are apparently a breakthrough in color photography processing because they allow you to really dial in your temperatures, and which is kind of interesting, you know? <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That also brings up that that, that question of, of, of perfection, going back to perfection, but like how much of this is is external pressure too because you look at at Instagram or glass and you see these these great photos someone has done this magnificent thing and you're like oh i have been in that location and mine didn't turn out that good and so are we piling more negativity or just futility on ourselves because we're looking at at good photos or maybe they're not so good photos but they're popular photos etc and then trying to trying to live up to something that maybe we're not technically able to do or or we can't do because we can't actually be in a specific location. Like how much external pressure? I mean, I think that that's a huge factor in, in not just in photography, people self-guessing themselves, but just in like the youth being depressed. And, you know, it's like we, we, we live in this world where everything looks a little bit better than it actually is. So it can be really discouraging. And I felt exactly what you just explained. I mean, I've seen photos of places where I was like, damn, how did they get that shot? I was there and didn't get anything even close to that. Um, And it is pretty annoying. But yeah, you know, I think, but equal parts though, it can be good for inspiration. And it's so hard to compare yourself to other people, or or it's so easy rather. Um, And it's so bad and and it really does kind of take the fun out of it. And I think that, you know, I think think that's a factor for a lot of people is, you know, it, it is hard to to put something out there and post it on Instagram and only get so many likes, you know, when someone else got so many more likes, it can take a little bit of the fun out of it. I think the question is, why do people take pictures? If you do it to get likes on Instagram, then, well, you have to follow a formula. If you do it because you have some creative urge, that's different. And uh, after you've learned how to control the camera and how to edit, you get to the point where you need to decide what you want to shoot. And do you want to copy everyone else? Or do you want to do something that maybe you're inspired by three different photographers and you mix something together and you're inspired by your surroundings because you're going to take more photos near where you live unless you're constantly traveling. So I think there comes a point where you have to figure out if you're just doing this to take pictures for likes or if you really want to try and create something. Yeah. And I think that people kind of get confused between those two and it's easy to sort of go back and forth. Um, But I, you know, I, I do think having an outlet to publish your work that isn't just social media is really healthy and really good for people. And that could just be, you know, printing some zines on your, you know, on a printer at home, or it could be printing out actual prints or trying to do a gallery show or something like that. But I think trying to put your photos in places where it's not just being enjoyed on a screen is really important to the photographer. And it doesn't matter if your work's good or not. It's still, you know, it's still a good way to get it out there. So I, I, I'm a big fan of printing DIYs something that I've been doing for 15, 20 years now. Um, and it's, you know, every time I sort of hit a creative rut, I'll either go back through old photos and put something together or I'll try to give myself a new project. 
I may only print five copies, I may print 10, you know, but I think that that's really helpful. And it does help break out of that sort of social media cycle of seeing something, thinking it's better than what you've already shot, feeling bad about yourself, so on and so forth. Yeah. I've never been a member of a photography club where mostly middle-aged, overweight men meet and discuss <laughs> gear and criticize each other's photos. But I did look um, a couple of times online at some websites for photography clubs in the area where I live. And like, here's the photos that, you know, we picked this month. And it's like, so many of them looked like the kind of photos you see in magazines. And I think anyone who goes to a fo photography club like that seeking anything more than enjoyable evenings is probably going to get into a rut because there's that sort of race to the bottom, isn't it? Where everyone tries to copy the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's also, you know, the, um, everything kind of ricochets off each other. You know, people, someone does something, someone's like, Oh, I can do it in that style as well. And you kind of just, you, you lose the creative energy there a little bit. Um, it's why, you know, I think photo walks and photo meetups are really cool. and It's a great way to meet people. But the photography often that comes out of them, I find to be sort of like all looks really similar. I think meeting people in the community and, and, and you know, expanding horizons is great. I think helping teach people photography, if you can get out there in those senses, is really great. But, uh, yeah, these clubs where they basically meet up and vote for the be three best photos every week. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, it make, if it makes you happy, so be it. But, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be pushing creative boundaries. Yeah. I would also say that that... <sighs> Actually, this is going to sound terrible. I would say that lowering your expectations can also be helpful because I tend to go out and, you know, of course, I want to take an amazing shot. I want to get a great shot. And if I take an okay shot, but my expectations are, wow, like this has to be the best shot at this time of day that I've ever taken. And then I go back and I see that I didn't quite get that and I feel depressed about it. But then, like you were saying, Kirk, I'll look at something a month later and say, actually, this was a pretty good shot. My expectations of it were just way too high. I, th I think one of the problems is when you're going out to take photographs with a creative mindset, you're seeing something, you're feeling it, and you're thinking, I want to capture this. Mm -hmm. And if you don't capture it, then there can be a disappointment. And you think you failed, whereas maybe you haven't because you just captured it in a different way, right? I, I took a couple photos the other day. We, we had, I mentioned earlier, 60 mile an hour gusts of winds. We have a spinny of alders off to the side of the house. Alders are these really tall trees, like 150 feet tall. And it's kind of curved, right? Then the, the, the trees, they've been there for 100 years. And so they're all curved by the wind. And one at the edge was broken by the windstorm. And it was askew. And there was this juxtaposition of that tree and the ones to the left and the one to the right. And I took a few photos of it. And I was trying to capture this this shape. And it's just not there in the photos. But I've been playing with them in 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 editing, trying to think, how do I crop? How do I change the light to try and reproduce what I felt? That sort of that weird shape that attracted me there. Yeah, and I think you know, like 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 Jeff said, you know, you you may and you may you you probably won't capture it the way you see it, but you'll probably still get something that looks really cool and is really an interesting photograph. And it is, you know, it, it kind of almost ties into that whole idea of photography is a lie. It's like if we're not capturing what we actually felt when we saw it, but we're still finding something that's good. Like, how 
truthful is photography. Eh, does it really matter? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, you know, taking a photograph, you're at least capturing something more than if you hadn't. So, you know, there's some truth there. But I also think it plays into, you know, I, 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 I'm sure you both feel this a lot too, where maybe you're walking down the street or wherever you are, you'll see something and you'll be like, I should take a picture of that. And then you go back and forth real quick and you're like, nah, it's just a stop sign where someone wrote school underneath it. So it's like, how interesting of a picture of it is it really? But, you know, I, this is a photo I regret not taking over the weekend. But, um, you know, just a stop sign says <laughs> stop. Or it was like, it, uh, it was it was end school zone. And someone just blocked out zones. It just said end school. Yeah. And I, was, I laughed, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I think you should always take those shots because whether it's a boring photo or not, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's good. It, it, it's something I'm still thinking about right now. So like, obviously it had some sort of impression and left some sort of impression. So, you know, and, and if I had posted that photo to social media, it's not, no one's gonna be like, oh, it's a centered photo of a street sign. Like, it's not very interesting, but it might make people laugh. And at the end of the day, you know, that's fine. I, I don't, it doesn't have to say something about my mastery of photography. Yeah. And I think that's another thing. People are afraid to put their name on something they think is subpar. That's a really good point. And I would add just what you said, shooting a lot, is going to definitely help. And it sounds almost like a cliche, like go shoot a lot of pictures. And of course, we can do that easily now with digital. But one upside that I found from that is you shoot a lot. And sometimes you will run into that experience where, like I said, things align, the light looks great. But then there'll be other times when you'll be looking through your photos and you realize that the shot that you took a minute earlier really is better for various, you know, maybe composition or the light hit it or, you know, it looks great in black and white. And then you you get that 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 little bit of dopamine rush that says, hey, you know what? I did make a good photo. And one of the things I think uh, Joe McNally said this when we were talking to him, when you have a good photo like that alone can sort of push you into the future and and, you know, dispel a lot of the the, the negativity or feelings of, of not being quite good enough, when you get one that's good, you're like, oh, you know what? I can do this. And now I can go and do more. And, it, and it's, it's that like, like afterglow of joy that you remember, I don't completely stink at this and I should go out and do it again because that's going to happen again. And hopefully it's going to happen more and more often. Yeah. And I, you're absolutely right. You know, if, you, if you're not taking shots, you're, you're just limiting your opportunities to feel that feeling. One thing we haven't really touched on is gear. And for some people, gear can contribute to the joy of photography. If you're in a rut and you don't have every single lens for your camera, buy a new lens if you can afford it, right? That kind of thing. It won't make your photography better, but it might give you a different perspective on things. I was actually going to bring that up. Uh, sorry to jump ahead of you, Dan. But um, I, I was going to bring that up because I think the typical advice is because of gear acquisition syndrome. You're like, I'm not doing anything good with my photography. I need to buy something new. And most of the time, that, that's not really going to help. But Kirk here is an excellent example of that because when he bought his Leica, I think your, your photography and the way you're looking at photography and the way you're editing photography has all changed and improved. And so like, that's a really good case of, no, actually buying a new camera can be really helpful. Obviously, you can't do that every time you're in a rut unless you just have lots and lots of money. <laughs> but it's, it's a valid solution. 
you know, or, or you know, just change something about about what you're shooting with with your hardware if that gear helps to spark things. Yeah, I think it can really go both ways, and I I'm really encouraged to hear your experience, Kirk, because um, that's awesome. And I think you know one thing that I really like about, and I know you have something an article coming up about this, but one thing I love about cameras like the Leica Q, like the Fujifilm X100 is they're inherently self-limiting. So it makes you sort of have to dial in and focus on something a little bit more specific. And I think that that's great. And I think, you know, giving yourself those little bit of challenges and a slightly narrower lane to work with can be really solid. But the other end of that spectrum is people who have a cabinet full of 20 cameras and they (laughs) think they may want to go out and shoot today, but they have, you know, a panic attack about which camera to grab. Is today the Leica M6 or is it the Minolta CL or should I take the Nikon FM2 or should I take the Canon AE1? You know, and it, or which lenses to bring too? Do you want to bring a wide angle, a zoom, a telephoto, and you got this big camera bag and it's hurting your back yeah. and you're not enjoying yourself? And which acoustic guitar to bring with you? Of and- course, all those things. <laughs> Make sure you have the right hip flask for your single malt scotch whiskey. <laughs> you have to get everything just right. But we did an episode about constraints a while ago, and I think that's a great thing to do when you're in a rut. If you're used to shooting with a wide-angle lens, put a, put a telephoto on. If you're used to shooting with a zoom, put a prime on. Do something. Give yourself – upturn your habits. Change – don't – don't do the same thing that has been unsuccessful. Do something different. Absolutely. I used and you know, I used to shoot a lot of live music here in Seattle before the pandemic, mostly in smaller venues. And um, I would get into these kind of creative ruts where my photos would be looking the same. So I would send myself to a concert and just give myself one lens to use. And it was usually a, an 85 millimeter, something that's a little bit less traditional for, for live music. And you just look at everything a little bit different and you find new angles and it's it's great. And I, I think that that's another really good thing, if, especially if you're someone who's shooting something that has a little bit of a level of repetition, challenging yourself to change the focal length up and or, or shoot with the flash or don't shoot with the flash, something like that. It's really helpful and it, it makes you a better photographer, no doubt. I think all of these things that we're touching on are expanding the range of what you do and how you shoot. And I think that's probably the most important thing. Now, you could just you know, have your standard 50 millimeter lens and go through life like that. And some people do, and they're really creative. If you look at William Eggleston, I think, I don't remember what kind of, he was using Leicas for a long time, but then he was using some sort of medium format. I don't think he ever changed lenses. And he developed his style because he was seeing the world through that lens and that was him. And that was enough for him. Other people may need to make changes, but I think the, the 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 real advantage with digital is you can shoot so many photos and not have to pay for them afterwards in terms of developing. As as enjoyable as film is, digital gives you that freedom to, as you said, you know, that stop sign. You could shoot it and burst. You could do twelve frames a second, and you don't have to worry about what it costs. Absolutely, I, I think that that it really depends, you know, on, on your mindset and the rut you're in. But yeah, I think you know, for especially for trying new stuff, it's great to have that that leeway to really just sort of screw up and try again and see immediate results and know exactly what what it is you screwed up. But again, I'll say on the other hand, you know, going on the same thread as this rock and roll stuff, eventually switching the lenses wasn't enough for me to be creative. So I gave myself the challenge of only shooting shows with 36 frames on like a tiny little point and shoot film camera with, you know, really slow focus and all this stuff. But it was immensely fun. And the photos look so much different than anything I've shot. And you learn how to work around these little disadvantages. And then when there's only 36 frames, you really, really, really try to make those frames count. So it's just, you know, it, it really depends on the rut that you're in. I, that's probably because, you know, 
before that, I was going to a concert and blasting 800 frames, you know, and coming home and wanting to bang my head against the wall because, you know, there's so many photos that look exactly the same and it's being shot on a, you know, Nikon D850 or something. So it's enormous files and you have to refinance your house to get enough hard drive space. And, um, <laughs> and then on the other hand, the risk of only having 36 photos is you want to save two or three photos for when the band comes on and does Freebird for the encore. <laughs> well, I always had a, I always had an extra roll in my back pocket. Ah, okay. Um, so, in in any case, there, there's all these different things you can do to try and re spark that interest. We didn't talk much about editing, but you can try new editing techniques, new editing software. The post production is, you know, there are some photographers who hate the post production process and don't want to edit, and some who love it and prefer that to almost the photography. So, if that's your favorite part of photography, spend more time in post-production. And here's a tip, convert your color photos to black and white, because black and white is almost always better than color. <laughs> There's a lot of people who won't even do that because they just don't understand black and white. Because see, black and white is something you do have to understand, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, I think there's not necessarily misinformation out there, but there's so many ways to convert photos to black and white, and some are very good, and some are a lot less good. And so I think, you know, it does people benefit from having an idea of like, how, how can I take this color information and actually get the most out of it and not just be applying some crappy filter? You know, obviously cameras like the, the, the like a monochrome, that the beauty of it is that's how they're reading the information off the sensor. But um, yeah, I love black and white. And I think that's a great tip. Going back and looking at stuff, um, you know, just take, open, a, open an album in Lightroom, convert the whole thing to black and white and take a peek around and see what you see because that can be really cool. Really cool. And the person in that, Facebook group who's complaining about the noise in the black and white monochrome photos. Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> monochrome noise looks awesome. It's great. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. That That's the kind of person who has to have everything just sharp and sharp and sharp and doesn't appreciate the grain of film. Yeah. Ah, no one's happy, right? No one's happy, but there are ways to get happy. That's our point. Exactly. Okay, well, Dan, thanks for joining us. We can find you on popphoto.com, where, coincidentally, you can find Jeff and me occasionally. So until next time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? I am really happy to say that I got a few camera things for Christmas, and so I can keep grabbing Christmas things. In this case, I have a Shimoda three-panel wrap. So what this is, this is basically a little uh, pouch container, and what I like about it is I can unfold it, and it has six big pockets. Right now they're empty, but what I'm going to do is transfer all of my filters, my ND filters, and put them in here because right now they're just in a little pocket, like a little padded pocket, and it's it's compact, but I always have to sort of reach in and it, it's always extra work to find the one that I want. And so this lets me just open it up. I can actually hang it like on my tripod if I'm looking for the right ND filter, see which one I want grab it right away. Uh, it is super, super convenient. Let me give you a tip. You can also put SD cards in one of the little yep. pouches. If you have a small cable, like say a cable adapter for uh, the iPad or something, uh, anything like that, you can stick in, you know, all those small things. Exactly. Because it's true when you have filters in their little plastic containers and they're all piled together, they kind of open and they get in the way and something like that is really practical. Yeah. And what's great about these, all these pockets are, are semi-transparent. So you, you get to see exactly what it is that you're, that you're grabbing for, which is often, you know, you're, you're shooting, you're, 
don't want to spend a whole lot of time figuring out which filter to put on. You just want to know where it is, grab the one, put it on, and go. This particular one is uh, $35, so not really inexpensive, but not super expensive. And again, it's something that I can throw into my bag and just have that ability to grab things quickly that I'm looking forward to. Kirk, what do you have this week? I have a book. This is a book I've had for a couple of years, and I was looking at this the other day because while I prefer black and white photography overall, I really like good color photography. This is by Fred Herzog. It's called Modern Color. Fred Herzog was a German, I think he was born in 1930. He moved to Vancouver in the 50s, and he worked as a medical photographer. Uh, in his spare time, he would wander around with his Leica, and he would take pictures using Kodachrome film. In the film world, anything that was considered artistic photography was in black and white. And it wasn't really until the late 60s, early 70s, particularly with people like William Eggleston, where color became something that was considered artistic. He was not well known. He didn't, he, I think he had one exhibit um, before his death. And then it was rediscovered in 2007. And there's a sort of a parallel with Vivian Meyer, who was this nanny who took all sorts of street photographs, that someone discovered this person that wasn't known. I don't know the whole history about how Herzog was rediscovered, but he has become a very well-respected photographer. Or at least people are looking back and thinking, wow, if we knew his stuff back then, then it would have been really interesting. It's all saturated Kodachrome, you know, color, color, color. There are some black and white photos. And it's the streets and it's the people and it's the signs. He's really into signage, uh, photos of ships. It's it's someone who's taking full advantage of the color. Now, again, we don't know how many photos he shot, uh, whether he would have made this selection if this is representative of his work. But it's really fascinating, a, a type of color street photography from a period when people weren't doing much of that. So it's Fred Herzog, Modern Color. Sounds great. Okay, until next time, Jeff. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 